0: Mysterious Circumstances is an American Crime Cast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This is Justin, back with a Mysterious Circumstances podcast. <clears throat> Sorry it took so long to get this episode out. But there was a lot of uh, a lot of research involved with this with this episode. So without further ado, tonight's episode, quick summary, is astrophysicist Rodney Marks, native of Australia, is considered to be the first murder victim at the South Pole. So basically, a rough summary is: On May 11th, 2000, Rodney Marks became uh, increasingly sick while walking between a remote observatory and the base. Now, over the next 36-hour period, his his condition uh, quickly deteriorated. Uh, he actually returned to the base doctor three times, and advice was even sought by satellite. But on May 12th, 2000, Rodney Marks died with his condition still undiagnosed. Six months later, his body could not be airlifted out immediately because winter in Antarctica, you cannot land a plane. Your hydraulic fluid and landing gear will freeze within minutes. So pretty much any supplies you need are parachuted in. So his body remained there for about roughly five to six months. So when the closest closest place they took his body was uh, Christchurch, Uh, New Zealand, Uh, when his body got there and they did the autopsy of it, uh, come to find out Rodney Marks was actually poisoned with methanol. His actual cause of death was acute methanol poisoning, uh, in which it was ingested in the amount of about a wine glass full of methanol. So, uh, let's get into a little bit about Rodney Marks. Uh, he was born on March 13, 1968, in Geelong, Australia. Uh, his education consisted of the University of Melbourne, where he studied uh, astronomy, and he went on to get his Ph.D. in physics at the University of New South Wales. And Rodney Marks was widely regarded as an extremely brilliant man, and his aptitude for science was recognized at a very early age. Now, the first time... He wintered over at the South Pole Station, was in ninety seven ninety eight. 98. Uh, he ended up coming back uh, after that. Everything went as planned. He absolutely loved it. The view of the sky from the South Pole is, without a doubt, just the most amazing thing you'd ever see. There's no obstructions in the sky. Everything's clear. I mean, it's pretty much an inhabitable land, so there's not many people there, not many lights perfect view of the sky. So he ended up getting a, a job working with the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory where he was working on uh, an Antarctic submillimeter telescope. Uh, it was a research project for the University of Chicago, and he was stationed at that em- Munson-Scott South Pole Station. Uh, this station is run by the National Science Foundation, which is a U.S. company and the first year, this was actually the first year that uh, a lot of the work was subcontracted out to Raytheon's Polar Services. Raytheon being a huge multi-billion dollar company, lot of it's a U.S. company, they do a lot of work for the Department of Defense, a lot of, uh, lot of aerospace work. They, they actually have their hands in a little bit of everything. But in November of 99, Rodney Marks went back to the Adminson Scott South Pole Station. It's usually only got roughly 250 people stationed there throughout the summer. And once winter starts coming in right about February, it dwindles down to right around 50 people. Uh, only 10 of them are usually scientists. The other 40 or so are uh, management crews and maintenance You've got to have maintenance at a place like this. It's In the wintertime, it gets down to negative 80, negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. If, if something goes down, if a generator goes down, everybody's going to die for the most part. It's very slim chances that anybody will survive a winter in Antarctica without some kind of heat. Rodney Marks is uh, there working. He's a very outgoing individual. He's actually one of the few people there that can intermingle between pretty much anybody. The guy had a freaking Ph.D. in physics and he would sit there and drink and play poker with the carpenters or the plumbers. The guy got along with everybody. He did have, from what they said, a little bit of a dry sense of humor, which I totally get. I have one myself. But at the end of the day... Once people get to know you, they they know when you're joking and when you're not joking. So at a, you know, 50 people in an area where nobody gets in, nobody gets out, people start to, you know, get to know everybody and everything. He actually played in a band there um, along with his fiancee, Sonia Walter. She actually played bass. Those two were stationed there uh, for the winter over, which is the winter over uh, at the South Pole stations for researchers and whoever else uh, volunteers for this is basically, you know, come about February, uh, if you're not going to leave the South Pole station then, you're not going to leave until about October because, like I said earlier, no planes can land, no planes can take off. You're pretty much shut off from the outside world, and that actually includes any kind of internet or satellite phone service. It's actually very patchy throughout the day, and there's only certain times where you can get communications in and out. So, that being said, uh, Rodney was known as a drinker, which pretty much everybody down there was. Uh, They actually had their own uh, still down there for making moonshine, which was passed down yearly throughout... Uh, crew to crew to crew and uh, everybody they used to call it toast juice you know here in the states we call it moonshine you know there's ample amounts of good times down there but the general the general consensus on it was as long as it didn't affect your job nobody was really saying anything because when you're in a situation like that you have to have some kind of outlet you, there's actually a very, very uh, careful screening process for people who want to be stationed there, because of the six months without sun, the cold weather. Uh, there's lots of things that can happen. There's lots of reports of uh, you know spontaneous schizophrenia popping up, uh, a lot of binge drinking. Uh, there, you know, there's no drunk tanks or AA meetings or anything like that down there. Everybody pretty much polices their own. But at the same time, you know, everybody's very carefully screened. They actually do somewhat of the same screening process that NASA does for astronauts to send them into space because it's a different type of life while you're there. So Rodney Marks is an extremely outgoing guy, cool guy. Everybody likes him. His main purpose there is... You know he's an astrophysicist, so he's staring at the night sky. I'll be honest with you; I really didn't look too much into his job, like the specifics of it, because I really didn't think that it pertained to the case very much. We get into the facts of what happened before Rodney Marks is is dying. So on May 11th at roughly about 6:30 p.m., him and his fiancee Sonya. Are uh, walking back from one of the remote observatories back to the back to the main base. Like I said, it's about 6:30 p.m. They go into the galley to get some food. He eats a light a light dinner and uh, drinks a can of beer. And he uh, starts complaining that he doesn't feel well, and he his vision was getting blurry. So he goes to the station doctor, Doctor Robert Thompson, with Sonya, and Doctor Robert Thompson Thompson says. He seems a little bit anxious you know he's a little bit unnerved because you know he's he's not really seeing what's going on you know he's on I shouldn't say not really seeing what's going on but he doesn't know what's going on with himself he you know he's doing the same things that he would have done any any day now there's also a report that the first time that he came to dr. Robert Thompson uh, which was the only base physician there the doctor reported seeing two intravenous needle marks on Rodney Marks' right arm. Rodney Marks is actually right-handed. So the fact that the needle marks are on Rodney's right arm are alone, very suspicious. But at the same time, how would somebody shoot him up with something, you know, without him knowing about it? Uh, It's very hard telling. The doctor actually gets him calmed down and seems to have a... Pretty much, I mean, it's undiagnosed. He has no clue. Even the doctor doesn't know what's wrong with him. Uh, So he sends him back to, he calms him down, gets him back to his room. At this point in time, I don't think he was given really any medication the first time he was at the doctor. Um, The doctor report didn't state anything. And I could not find any literature anywhere that said he was given any medication the first time he went to the doctor. So Rodney and Sonya go back to their room that they shared. And uh, about 9.30 at night, Rodney and Sonya go to bed. This was extremely rare. Uh, Rodney was a very outgoing guy. He liked to party, have a good time. Like I said, him and Sonya actually played in a band there at the base. Um, they were very well known. Rodney, like I said earlier, very well liked guy. So him going to bed at 9.30 on a night where he'd usually be partying until you know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning was very rare. So it's stated at about 5.30 a.m., Rodney wakes up vomiting blood. He complains of a burning in his stomach that pretty much starts radiating throughout his entire body. He goes to the station doctor again to, uh, for... For medical treatment Uh, he's scared very anxious and his eyes are extremely sensitive at this point so he's wearing sunglasses again Robert Thompson uh, could not diagnose him he actually spent hours trying to diagnose him at this point in time and he's looking into it being possibly something related to anxiety and maybe something related to alcohol withdrawal Because, uh, you know, unfortunately, Rodney did did drink quite a bit. He was known as a little bit of a binge drinker, but not to the point where it actually affected his work. Now, Dr. Thompson asked him if he had been drinking. Uh, Rodney replied that he had not had a drink in roughly 36 to 38 hours before his visit to the doctor, which kind of contradicts what Sonia said with him having that beer at the galley earlier that earlier that night, so they're trying to seek medical advice by satellite, which it's patchy in and out. They they lose signals for most of the day. They're still trying to spend hours to diagnose what's wrong with them. So with the satellite and the phone both down, it's hard to get any kind of satellite help for a doctor who's stationed there. So Dr. Thompson injected Marks with a sedative and sent him back to his sent him back to his room with Sonya. Now an interesting side fact is that in later inquiries, Dr. Robert Thompson stated that he actually used one of the old needle marks in Rodney's arm to put in this sedative. Now, why in the hell you would do that, I have no freaking idea. He actually never even asked Rodney about the needle marks in his arm, which were clearly visible, didn't even ask him any questions, which is sketchy all in itself. But even then, using one of the old needle marks to inject him again with a sedative is weird all in itself. So him and Sonya go back to the room. Now, at an unknown time, he wakes up and starts vomiting more blood. At this point in time, he's breathing just uncontrollably fast. He has extremely bad joint pain to the point where it's throbbing. And Marks actually begins to panic. He has no idea what's going on with him at this point. And very disoriented, he goes back to biomed to see the doctor again. Now, when he arrived, he's actually hyperventilating and combative. He's actually... At the point where he wants to know what's going on. Because he knows that something is seriously wrong with him. And at this point in time he's still undiagnosed. He arrives there. Doctor uh, gave him another injection of Haldol. Which is an antipsychotic to try to get, regain control of him. Uh, like I said he was in a combative state. He's extremely belligerent. Just, just freaking pretty much freaking out. And it is at about this time, uh, just before 6 p.m., where Rodney Marks loses consciousness and his heart stops. Uh, Sonia was with him at the time, trying to resuscitate him. It's actually said that uh, one of his friends, I believe his name was Darren Schneider, a uh, fellow Australian, they sound an alarm when he when his heart stops they're trying to resuscitate him now. This alarm, when it when it sounds out throughout the entire base, everybody who is certified in any kind of emergency response training or or any kind of uh, CPR is supposed to report to the uh, station, the biomed immediately. So whoever's there goes to the station, reports there. They try to revive him. For right around 45 minutes, but to no avail. So on just before 6 p.m. on May 12, 2000, Rodney Marks is announced dead. Okay, so in a later blog entry by one of his good friends, uh, Darren Schneider, it says that, and I quote, We did everything we could, but Rodney did not come back. He had friends around him at the end we have no idea what happened, end quote. So while Snyder and the others are trying to basically drown their sorrows, they all go to the bar, uh, Mark's remains were placed in a body bag and stored in a service area known as the fuel arches. And this is connected to the main station through one of the tunnels. Now the temperatures there are plenty cold to reserve a corpse, And the reason they had to to do this and the body could not be flown out right away, Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned earlier, but the temperatures in a winter over in Antarctica are freezing to the point where you cannot get a plane in or out. The hydraulic fluid in the landing gear would actually freeze within minutes of a plane landing there. So there was no way to get the body out. And now while his body is... Uh, Laying in the uh, fuel arches, his friends felt that he deserved more of a dignified resting place. So they basically, you know, they considered Mark's, you know, such a great guy that he deserved more than that. And he was considered one of the the best South Pole scientists that they had pretty much ever known. So everybody grouped together. The station carpenters found and milled uh, an old stash of heavy oak for a casket and the machinist on the base crafted some metal fittings, and uh, Schneider and one of the cooks upholstered the interior with an old tablecloth. Sonya, actually, his fiance, actually made a uh, maple plaque with a brass inlay of Mark's favorite constellation, which was Scorpio. Um, so once all this was finished, they placed his body in the casket, then used the traditional wooden Nansen sled to haul it out to the geographic south pole for a quiet, uh, personal ceremony. That being said, he was laid to rest. Uh, his room, actually, the the National Science Foundation released a statement within hours, and I quote: "Within hours of him, uh, Rodney Marks passing away, that he had apparently died of natural causes." Now, this was their first initial statement. How they would think this, why they would think this, and how they would even know when it was undiagnosed for six months after Rodney Marks died is beyond me. And why they would release a statement like that saying that is also beyond me. So in June of 2000, which is about four months before flights in and out of Antarctica would resume, uh detective senior sergeant and New Zealand named Grant Warmold, his office received a curious fax from the local coroner and, in, and it was an order to begin investigating the death of an Australian citizen stationed at an American base in Antarctica. The case was gonna, they knew the case was gonna have some jurisdictional issues because there's, di- there's a few different territories in Antarctica but Nobody really works together. Everybody just kind of roams however they basically want to. Um, So when Marx died, they knew there was going to be some jurisdictional problems. And according to New Zealand law, a coroner is entitled to hold an inquest on the basis of a body simply being present in the country. And now the coroner knew that Christchurch, New Zealand... I hope I pronounce that right. Sorry, New Zealand. It's either Christchurch or Christchurch was definitely going to be the first place that Marx's body was going to be. It was the closest. It was the closest place. And as we come to find out, jurisdiction was probably going to be the last of the worries. Now, anywhere else in the world, following an unexplained death of someone who's 33 years old, 32 years old, you know, and in health and in good health the sleeping quarters in Marks' office would be basically blocked off and preserved for some kind of an investigation. Now, Raytheon, the company that employed Rodney Marks, they are reported to have requested that everything be blocked off. Nobody in, nobody out, nobody touches anything. Raytheon's authority was simply too remote. They were too far away. To pretty much have anything to do with the with the crew, the crew was extremely grief stricken. So the fact that Raytheon or the fact that the NSF, which was the National Science Foundation, put out put out the report that he had died of natural causes, the crew felt sure that Marks actually had died of natural ca- causes. So they they go into his room and his office. Uh, a few items are collected from from there and put aside but basically anything that didn't really look suspect went straight into the garbage. Now after being cleaned up both areas uh, continued to be used as they had as they had been before his death. Uh, His office was used by other scientists and his room was used continually by Sonya uh, who actually lived there for the rest of the winter. That right there is going to put a big big hindrance on any kind of investigation uh, that's going to pertain to anything that might have been involved with this case, okay? So, at around midnight on October 30th, the first plane off the off the ice landed in Christchurch, and it was carrying Mark's casket. Um, also aboard were Darren Schneider and Sonia. They went to the hotel where Mark's mother and uh, two sisters were, and the five of them, of them eventually uh, moved out uh, to a pub across the street. And uh, a lot of them actually had a little impromptu wake and uh, pretty much partied their asses off. There were a couple people that actually stayed in Christchurch. Uh, Schneider was one of them, and Sonia was as well. Uh, they only stayed in New Zealand long enough to talk to the police. Because without any autopsy results yet, it was the testimony really wouldn't have mattered and there was no reason for them to stay. Had uh, had the coroner or a pathologist known what the autopsy was going to reveal, they probably would have stuck stuck around. And if they wouldn't have, they would have been required to. So six weeks later on December 19th, the forensic pathologist... Uh, by the name of Martin Sage, made a pretty shocking announcement. And the announcement was that Rodney Marks had been poisoned. His blood contained lethal traces of methanol, um, which is a highly toxic, uh, wood-alcohol-based chemical. And Marks actually used this to clean his high-tech telescopes. But the amounts that he used it to clean his telescopes was not even remotely close to what could kill somebody. What actually killed him was, like I said earlier, a small wine glass's worth of methanol. And it was said that it was certainly ingested. So with that being said, all the 50 people that were stationed on that base at the time of Rodney Mark's death are pretty much scattered throughout the world at this point. They get off of there, they're all going back to their home countries, home states, wherever they might be from. And to make matters worse, the news about the fact that the base physician, Robert Thompson, some of the facts had revealed that while Marx was laying dying there, uh, his potential lifeline was sitting dormant in a corner of a room. Uh, Come to find out, An Ektakum blood analyzer was actually in the corner of the room and not being used. Uh, The Ektakum blood analyzer is a single tiny lithium lithium ion battery. Uh, The battery in it had died. Therefore, the machine basically lost calibration every time it was turned off. Once it turned back on, it took up to nine hours to recalibrate. Now, Thompson had known about the malfunction and actually even reported it to Raytheon, but for some reason, he never attempted to fix it and decided against simply leaving it on. Um, to him, his personal opinion, that it was by no means necessary piece of equipment in the, in the day-to-day duties, but in all actuality, it was there for a reason, and it was there for emergencies just like this one. When an ectacum machine uh, is working, it would have recognized an abnormal uh, anion gap in Mark's blood, uh, the causes for which make up a fairly short list, and that short list includes methanol poisoning. Now, had his condition been caught in time, Uh, Reversing the effects would have been an extremely simple procedure in which it would have been running a mixture of ethanol, which is directly related to methanol, Uh, but it would have been a mixture of ethanol and saline through his body. It's not 100% guaranteed that this would have saved his life, but it would have immediately raised the question of how methanol could have possibly gotten into his system and it would have made for a very, very, very different investigation process. So shortly after the pathology reports released, uh, that's pretty much when the whole world basically started going going nuts over this, calling it the first murder at the South Pole. Uh, Detective Wormold made a, a short statement about the fact that and I quote common sense would tell us there are only four possibilities as to how rodney came to ingest the methanol he goes on to explain that one he drank it willingly and knowingly with the intention of getting a little bit of a high which if you enjoy, if you do ingest a small amount of ethanol it does give you some kind of some kind of buzz this is kind of disregarded by the fact that there are actually reports of hemp growing down there Uh, a lot of people like smoking some weed you know everybody's getting drunk they got their own still for for god's sakes you know what i mean so that one is pretty much disregarded the second one would be that he took it to end his life now suicide is actually considered the least likely cause of the methanol ingestion because Rodney was financially in very good shape. He was doing exactly what he loved. He was making breakthroughs in his field. I mean, pretty much, and and he was engaged. I mean, the guy was about ready to get married. He was pretty much on top of the world. And that is the very least likely possibility. We'll get get into more of that in the uh, theories later on. Uh, But number three is that he took it accidentally. And uh, the fourth one would be that someone had spiked his drink, possibly as a prank, or even knowing that it would either make him very ill or kill him. Now, we'll get, like I said, into more of those a little bit later with the theories. So, after it's found out that he died of the acute methanol poisoning, New Zealand starts to... Want to ask the NSF a lot of questions about this, including Raytheon. They pretty much get stonewalled right off the bat. Uh, The National Science Foundation was pretty much a brick wall. They did not want to cooperate with any New Zealand or Australian authorities for that matter, Uh, and that includes Raytheon basically being the same way about it. Why these two companies would not want to help. In trying to figure out how this young man died is totally beyond me. It's hard telling. A lot of it has to do with jurisdictional issues. They didn't want to go through the red tape. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody's stepping on everybody's toes. But you would think for a person who might have been murdered, uh, you know, with an enclosed group of about 50 people or so, you would think that it would be pretty much, hey, let's get this done, you know, let's do it to it, Uh, but that was not the case. Now, Detective Wormold actually is, as far as I know, still actually very intrigued with this case. He was actually investigating it up, uh, from what I understood, up until about 2008. So, it's a very, the, the case is very, still, still very alive, but... With that being said, you know, even up until 2002, Wormold actually made a request. He wanted to, information on the entire winter crew that was stationed at the entire South Pole, along with any other facts that the NSF had on any other people there. Now, basically, like I said, NSF uh, declined. They said that, uh, you know, they said that the results of the lab test done just provided little evidence. Uh, there was no, there was basically not enough evidence to go forward with the case because they, his office was not shut down. You know, the room was not shut down. People threw away stuff. Uh, just huge mistakes were made right off the bat. Personally, I think it had to do with The NSF, initially, within the hours following his death, uh, putting out the statement that he had died of natural causes. Uh, Even if he did, they still should have, uh, you know, sectioned off everything. But with that being said, now we're going to get into some theories about this. There's going to be a lot of information here. Uh, Hopefully this has not been too confusing or hard to follow. Uh, It's been an extremely mind-numbing case to investigate, I will tell you that much. But the first theory is that Marx knowingly ingested the methanol. Now, like I previously stated, Marx had a fiance. Um, his reputation among the people he worked with was phenomenal. The guy was brilliant. Everybody freaking get along uh, everybody got along with him, okay? Um And his future was just looking extremely good. So the suicide, ruling that out immediately. Um, Like I said, anybody who knew Marx knew that there was, you know, everybody liked him. There's nothing to suggest any kind of suicidal tendencies. Another theory is that he accidentally ingested the methanol. Now, this theory is actually not too far-fetched. Everybody who knew Marx, pretty much anybody who's on a higher intelligent level, sometimes is not the most organized person in the world. I mean, hell, look at Albert Einstein couldn't even comb his hair half-time, okay? So, I mean, with that being said, he basically had bottles of lab agents like methanol and ethanol were... You know, pretty much strewn around his office. Um, he had a dozen or so empty bottles of alcohol that were there, that were there as, as, as well. Now, the methanol used at the South Pole is similar to a car's windshield wiper fluid, while the less toxic ethanol is a common ingredient in the base's homemade moonshine. Now, moonshine, for those of you who don't know, um, usually about the first cup per gallon of moonshine is actually methanol. Now, ethanol is actually what you're drinking to get drunk. The methanol, which obviously, as we've stated a hundred times or so, is the toxic element. Now, basically, methanol is more like a rubbing alcohol. All, all, methanol is colorless and uh, pretty much has no odor. It's kind of like a vodka. And it's almost indistinguishable indistingu- from from one another in taste. So, I mean, if if he was a big vodka drinker, I could see the possibility of him accidentally ingesting the methanol, thinking that, you know, it was possibly vodka. He, there's a good chance he was already drunk when, you know, if this was an accident. Now, when it likely occurred, you know, he could have been drinking, you know, hey, I'm going to take a shot of this. Uh, A lot of the labels on the homemade moonshine and the liquor bottles in his office were not labeled. So it is a very good possibility that he did accidentally ingest this. But at the same time, um, Marx knew how lethal this stuff was. And he knew that ingesting even a small amount could be fatal. And Marx was not a stupid person. He was an extremely bright guy. So it's it's really hard telling in that fact so pretty much um, I would almost rule out him drinking it himself accidentally Rodney was a smart enough guy I think he would have noticed you know if he would have accidentally drank that he would have told somebody he was lucid for 36 hours before he died um, from the time you know his first symptoms started to the time he died I'm sure he would have told somebody hey, I might have drank something, you know, blah, blah, blah. The most likely theory uh, is that he was accidentally slipped it. They're, They're basically thinking that, you know, someone else might have not known the difference between the methanol and ethanol given the state of his office, and they might have put the wrong thing in his drink, you know, say hey, drink, drink this. You know, blah blah blah. Like I said, Marx was known uh, as a pretty heavy drinker. Yeah, there's actually stories about him uh, beating people in poker just basically because he could outdrink them. Um, so he could have ingested it, not even know, not even knowing it. Um, but that raises the question of who was in the office with him when he. Would have uh, around the time that he would have drank it. Now, the only person I have ever heard mentioned was his fiance, Sonya. Now, to the uh, to the ex- pretty exciting, puzzling part, <clears throat> Sonya and him actually did not know each other very long before getting engaged, uh, it was probably about six months or so. They met when they were. In the transition from summer to winter, which would have been about, uh, you know, I can't think of the time of year here. Let's see, winter runs from February to October, so it would have been around probably December maybe, and they were already engaged. Now, there are reports of people who winter over in Antarctica um, having what they call... And I quote: Ice wives. Now, ice wives are women that are pretty much your wife for the six or so months that you are stationed down there in the winter. Now, given that fact, uh, these two actually were, were actually said to be freaking soulmates. Okay, it, it plays in with the with a jealousy factor. Maybe somebody else. Uh, had something for Sonya and knowingly sparked or spiked one of Marx's drinks. Uh, I don't see that happening, but the interesting facts about Sonya are actually very intriguing because after right around 2008, you really can't find much about her. Now she was supposed to leave that base before the winter over, but she applied uh, to stay there longer so she could be with Marx. Now, like I said, everybody who was there, the 50 or so people, uh, they're very tight-knit and they did say that those two were crazy in love and perfect for each other. Later on, though, actually in about 2006, I believe it was April 17th, 2006, a research vessel called the Lawrence M. Gold was... Getting done doing some research and heading back from Antarctica to uh, Chile. A man named Joshua Spillane actually ended up missing off of this boat. Nobody knows what happened to him and ironically enough the CCTV cameras uh, that were on the boat at the time have never been turned over to the family despite numerous, uh, numerous requests. Um, It's stated that basically he fell overboard and within about two days the search was ended for his body. Now, why I bring this up is because Sonia was actually on that boat when this guy disappeared. Um, I tried looking into any relationship between Sonya and Joshua Spillane. I couldn't really find anything. Sonia's role at the South Pole with Rodney Marks was actually a... Uh, She was a maintenance specialist, but her job title also included logistics. Logistics is a military term. Now, that raises the question of Raytheon again. Now, with these conspiracy theories come the fact of right around that point in time, uh, Planet X would have been orbiting somewhere close to Earth. Now, Rodney Marks, working with the Infrared Telescope, Probably would have been involved, you know, with maybe seeing it. Maybe Sonya even worked for directly for Raytheon, took him out. This Joshua Splane might have found some information about this because there were various medical records on this research vessel. I you know, maybe he found out something, maybe she had to take him out too. That's it's a little bit far fetched. Don't get me wrong. It is an extremely, extremely creepy coincidence. Okay, um, that this one woman is directly involved with two out of maybe ten deaths that are any anywhere somewhat related to Antarctica. It's it's an extreme. It's an extremely intriguing fact. Um, actually, uh, Joshua Spillane is you know, he actually might be an upcoming episode because this, this case right here is actually extremely intriguing as well. So if you, you know, want to do some research yourself, feel free to. So with all that being said, you know, there's no cooperation from the U.S. Detective uh, Detective Grant Wormold, uh, as far as I know, is still trying to get to the bottom of this case. And as much as I hate to say it, Marx's family actually has gotten to the point uh, in about 2006 to 2008 where they are just so frustrated with the stonewalling the National Science Foundation and Raytheon Polar Services that they pretty much have given up on getting any kind of further information. Now, when your child dies of mysterious circumstances in a place that has no more than 50 people, you know, you can close down and make a good investigation and pretty much find out what happened. Um, You know, even though nobody really acted different after it happened to constitute any kind of, you know, weird behavior, um, but there are some... Conspiracies out there involving what he was doing down there with Planet X. Um, personally, I think that's uh, that's total bullshit. But like I said, it is a, it is very intriguing that the, his fiance of a very short amount of time that he actually knew this woman uh, was directly involved with him, and just happened to be on the same boat of a uh, extremely extremely uh, mysterious murder uh, about 6 years later that being said my personal opinion on this I don't even want to say that somebody might have spiked it because I don't know how many people were around him at the time I tried finding out like I said Sonia was the only person that was reported with him when he's about the time frame that he would have ingested it Uh, my personal opinion is that you know, given the messy office, Marks was known as a binge drinker. I hate to say it, but I think it uh, that he accidentally ingested the methanol. Now, Marks was an extremely bright man, but when it comes to mixing liquor or accidentally, you know, unmarked bottles, you know, he could have easily taken a couple chugs out of a bottle that was methanol that he thought was uh, vodka or something and that's that's enough to do him in now the station doctor as well is extremely at fault here because whether he accidentally did this to himself or not he should have had the machine working he had him he should have had the machine on now people have tried getting a hold of dr robert thompson but ironically enough um, nobody knows his whereabouts as of 2006. Uh, I tried looking into it quite a bit, and that's pretty much where we're at with that. And the guy seemed to have disappeared off the grid or off the face of the planet. Nobody really knows what happened to him. So further inquiry into that, into that does raise some questions, along with the fact of the needle marks in Rodney Marks' right arm. Rodney being right-handed, two needle marks in his right arm, is extremely suspicious. He was not known to use intravenous drugs. And why a doctor would not ask you about that, let alone give you a sedative in one of the same holes, is just freaking mind-boggling. I, If Dr. Robert Thompson would have been around when the Freedom of Information Act that the U.S. put forth in 2006. If he would have been around, I do believe that uh, he would have more than likely been brought forth with some kind of criminal charges because that is extremely negligent for any doctor in any field, let alone, you know, one that is, is you know, I mean, yeah, he's working with, you know, not that much stuff. He he doesn't have any satellite. He doesn't have any any internet access. But he's still a doctor, okay? You know, you still have you still have ethics to follow. You know, just common sense people, you know? Common sense. But anywho, with all this being said, all this information, that's my personal opinion on it. That's like I said, this is still a very intriguing case to this day. And people are still trying to find out what happened to Rodney Marks. Um, so if any of you have any information, I know I do have some listeners in New Zealand or, and Australia area. Uh, if any of you have any information that you would like to put forth, I would love to hear it. Uh, any of you that have any further theories, I would love to hear them as well. I can be reached at MysteriousCircumstances99 at gmail.com. Again, that is mysterious circumstances. The number 99 at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. You know, if anybody has any facts that I might have forgotten to mention or that I might not have even found, I would love to hear those as well because this, this case actually is. I'm probably going to look into it a little bit more after this episode, to be honest with you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I like to do. Uh, episodes on people who are a little, you know, mysterious cases that are a little bit more or less known, but still uh, the same amount of intriguing. So uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, You guys can find me on Podcast Addict, Podbean, uh, Buzzsprout, Blueberry, iTunes, uh, soon-to-be Stitcher. Um, So uh, until next time, I suppose I will see you guys on the flip side. Everybody have a good one.